everyone, welcome back. I'm your co-host, Jackie Spinell. And I'm Hannah Meira Plotkin. Let's dive right in. All right, well, welcome back to this week's episode, everybody. Woo. I always love hearing a little cheer, Jackie, and it just makes me so excited to, to say welcome back again. Just, you know, we've come so far and it's really interesting. Um, we yeah. have a lot to talk about. So Jackie, I'd love it if you could kind of introduce this week's episode. Yeah. So first of all, I just want to say, I cannot believe that this is episode 34 already. Think about that. 34 weeks, Hannah. That's crazy. That um, is almost, that's more than one episode for every day of a month. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's just how my brain thinks, people. So, <laughs> all right. Well then, yeah. So this episode, we actually have a very interesting topic. We're going to be talking about human trafficking, what it is, uh, why it's such a relevant and prominent issue, and a special movement called Dressember, which we'll get into a little bit later in the episode. So I just want to say that first of all. I, I'm very happy with the environmentalism miniseries. I think that it was definitely important to spend so much time on um, such a, an important topic. And I think that, I think we, we definitely talked about this, but we were holding off on doing an environmentalism episode just because we wanted to do it correctly. So I'm happy that we were able to do it correctly after all. So yeah, I, I just wanted to add, I. I highly suggest listening to them in order. I've gotten, you know, some comments from some people in the past that are just saying, you know, how inspiring the miniseries was. And I just want to give um, a huge tribute to all of our guests because it was really a lot of work for them on their part. And I'm really, really proud of that. So yeah, go feel free to dive right into those. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely very thankful for all of our guests and all of the amazing youth and just people that we met along that this almost month journey. So Hannah, do you want to introduce our icebreaker question? Sure. So as Jackie was alluding to, we are talking about December and human trafficking. And so you should kind of take this as a trigger warning. If this isn't something that you're comfortable listening to, we have so many more uplifting and inspiring episodes as well that, um, that, that are great to tune into as well that with a little bit more of a lighter air. But for this week's episode, we wanted to kind of take, you know, a more positive look at how clothing can affect people. And confidence is often is often associated with what you're wearing. People, you know, feel so confident in certain shirts or certain, you know, skirts or dresses. So Jackie, do you have a story of a time when what you wore really influenced your level of confidence? So I think that my clothing definitely influences my confidence on a day-to-day level because I'm not like probably most of you here, I do wear clothes every single day. And clothes are a huge part of expression. And there's a huge stigma around clothes and different clothes being more flattering on certain body types. And we all look different. And I think that this is a whole nother topic that we can definitely touch on another time, you know, like one size fits all and everything like that. But I think that clothes clothes and confidence often come hand in hand and I don't think they should. And I think other people and other people's reaction to what you're wearing also has an impact on your confidence. So that's an, I think that's just something that kind of all ties together. But I think one specific time would be probably my bat mitzvah dress where I, I just felt like 
the prettiest person in the world and the most special person in the world. Um, and I really just was wearing my dream dress. And I think that there's something to everyone complimenting you on something that you're proud of and something that you're happy in. You know, if you are wearing, this is my personal experience. If when I'm wearing shoes that I don't like and somebody, and somebody notices my shoes, even if they mean it as a compliment, and it's not even like a backhanded compliment, it's just a straightforward compliment. I, I, I don't like it. And it makes me feel uncomfortable because they're bringing awareness to something that I don't like about myself at that moment. So that's definitely one time. And I think just also on the flip side of that, I can definitely think of like days like last week or even probably yesterday um, where I was wearing something where that I didn't like. And it definitely took a toll on my confidence for the day, even if it wasn't out, out hideous, it was just something that I didn't like. So Hannah, do you want to, do you want to share an experience of yours? Yeah. And I think that you hit on a lot of really good points, Jackie, and we're going to talk about this later, but how other people can really influence you and your confidence really ties into this entire idea of dress summer. And for me personally, I agree. I think that when I'm wearing something that I don't necessarily feel confident in, but then someone says like some sort of positive affirmation or a compliment towards me, it does make me feel a lot better. But, you know, there was this one time in eighth grade where I had like back-to-back -back model UN competition, science fair, and power the pen all in one day. So I was just feeling like really overwhelmed and really stressed, but I had this like really pretty like navy blue dress that I thought was really professional. And it was like the first dress that people, you know, said, wow, you know, that makes you look so grown up. And that's just what you wanna hear when you're going to a conference of such high profile or three all in one day. And so for me, I just felt really good knowing that other people were perceiving me a specific way. And I think that, you know, it's sad that validation comes from other people, but I think that it is the reality and it is the truth in the situation. And as, you know, wrong and shameful as that might be, I think that we all need to kind of, you know, accept that, but also, you know, take into account, you know, how our words affect other people and their confidence. Like there's this entire movement and idea to not call little kids uh, or little girls like who are under, you know, a certain age cute and instead call them intelligent, smart, caring, and all of these better adjectives because cute kind of brings them you know, to the sense of, oh, the only thing that they're good for in this world is, you know, their looks and looking a certain way. Um, but instead calling people, you know, intelligent, empowered, all of these other words that actually have a much more significant connotation can really affect people's confidence in another way. And so in a sense, I appreciate, you know, confidence towards my uh, compliments towards my outwards appearance. And I value people who take the time to, you know, say something about an outfit, but I think that we all need to be watching our words and think more about, you know, how can we be talking to people with more dignity and respect? And I'm sorry to go on a rant there. It's just, I've thought of so many things all in one go, but um, this really, I think, ties into um, to how, how, how words really play a big part in, in our lives. And if you are interested on that, in that, we have two, um, like a mini, mini series called The Power of Her Voice, part one and part two, that you guys should all go listen to as well. Yeah, for sure. Hannah, you brought up so many amazing points there. Definitely. I think we also, another topic that we really want to touch on is self-love. Self-love is so important. I think 
I speak for myself and, but I do know that as a teenager, self-love does not always, it doesn't always seem like the most important thing to work towards or the easiest thing to achieve. But I think, and I don't think it's just teenagers um, in experiencing that, but it, it is definitely something that's difficult, but it, it's so important. And I think that that movement, Hannah, about not calling toddlers or girls cute, I think it's interesting. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I definitely do see its benefits. I think there definitely is something to say I'm wearing the same bathing suit as somebody else, even if it's not at the exact same time. And somebody says says to the other person, oh, that bathing suit looks so good on you. And I'm just, nothing is said to me. You know, it definitely does take a toll on me. And I think that it shouldn't. It should just be like, oh, okay. You know, like whatever. Like I know I'm, I know I'm beautiful, but um, but like it doesn't matter what they think. So I think that's, I think that's interesting. I think regardless of whether you're calling toddlers cute at such a young age, society is going to kick in sooner or later and make them feel a certain way about about other people telling them how they're supposed to be. So I'm not sure how exactly how effective that's going to be, but I definitely do see that. You know, in a in a in a dream world, that would be a very, a very great or uh, movement. So kind of, we kind of drifted a little bit, but I love when we drift in icebreaker questions because I think it makes the episode so much, so much more interesting. So, okay. So we wanted to, Hannah, do you have any final, final thoughts about the icebreaker question? No, I just, I love having this conversation of how, you know, maybe we disagree on a certain topic, but um, I think it is really important. And no matter if you agree or disagree, just always be sure to, you know, watch what you're saying. And if you are going to call someone cute, make sure that that's, you know, not explicitly only towards, you know, little girls and things like that, because not only can that come across as creepy, but also really misogynistic and things like that. Um, I don't mean to steal your thunder here, Jackie, but I was wondering, you know, if, if should we move into discussing what human trafficking is, how that ties into dress number and then kind of what dress number is? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we just have kind of a general overview as, of human trafficking and it's a really heavy subject. So for me, it's kind of hard to talk about. So I am going to let kind of Jackie take the lead on this one. Um, but human trafficking, it's so sad to think that it exists. I think that is something that we all need to recognize. It is really not very mainstream. I feel like I'm never seeing, you know, social action posts about ending human trafficking. So I think that just acknowledging that it exists is a huge step um, to dismantling this multi-billion dollar industry, which Jackie put that statistic. And I, it's appalling to me how you know, it really is like a modern day slavery. And Jackie wrote a really great outline for this episode and she put so many important points. And I think that, you know, when we talk about slavery or apartheid in South Africa or all of these things, we always see it as wrong. But I think that with human trafficking, people don't really necessarily understand what it is or understand the flaws in it, because I think people don't understand that it isn't consensual and that consent plays a really, really big role in um in this idea and how people you know don't value that and also um I, I'm kind of spitballing here but I just watched this Grey's Anatomy episode um where there was this person who was a victim of human trafficking and one of the doctors had to 
you know, reconcile with that. And he was actually the one to kind of get, get this little girl out of human trafficking, but the rest of the doctors on his team wouldn't believe him and, you know, didn't take him seriously and instead called him crazy instead of, you know, the person that was putting the victim into captivity um, crazy. And so that just goes to show that people really don't, don't necessarily see this issue as such a big issue and don't really acknowledge it exists. And if you do think that someone is being human trafficked, you know, even if people may think you're wrong, I think it's really important to still stand up and speak out. Yeah, you brought up so many, so many great points there, Hannah. It definitely is such just to acknowledge that it exists and that there are just some crazy statistics that, you know, I'll definitely get into. So, so, okay. So what is human trafficking? Like Hannah said, it's a multi-billion dollar industry and approximately probably more, um, just so much of this is, is, is unknown, but approximately 35 million people around the world are affected and likely many more. And many more are going unnoticed. And so of those people, 50% are women. Oh, sorry, 50% are children and 70% are women. So that also kind of talks about, brings us to the dress number movement and why it's mostly about a dress, even though there are, there is an alternative to that, which we will get into. So like Hannah said, it is like a modern day form of slavery, largely because these people aren't getting paid or not getting paid enough. And this is all just going unnoticed to, it could be in plain sight. We're just, we're just not looking for it, which I think is just a huge, huge, huge issue. So this is obviously a violation of people's human rights and pretty much victims are not they're not usually held captive, like physically captive, but they are not allowed to leave their traffickers. So they're, they're in this sort of like emotional or even like, yeah, kind of emotional captivity, which is obviously not okay. And not, not it's, yeah, it's, there's, it's really just not okay. I also just want to put out a little disclaimer that human smuggling and human trafficking are very different things. So human smuggling is illegally bringing somebody across the border, which we hear a lot, a lot about. And human trafficking is the illegal exploitation of a person. A huge thing to note is that human trafficking can happen anywhere around the world and to anybody. So we named some statistics before and some of those statistics were 50% being being children and 70% being women. And those statistics do vary. As I said, that um, a lot of the a lot of the human trafficking around the world is unknown. So those statistics are not 100% accurate, but those are some statistics that I saw. And also, human trafficking is happening in every single city around the world. It is often happening at massage places it is happening in your neighbor's in your neighbor's house or at truck stops and it is at every single major major sports game it is happening so there are there are different three different types of of trafficking there's sex trafficking forced labor and domestic servitude so they're pretty much explained the they're they're pretty explanatory uh within the name but the most the most common ones are sex trafficking and forced labor. So forced labor labor is very similar to kind of like a modern form of slavery. And sex trafficking is a lot of prostitution and 
non um, sex that's not uh, consent used. Um, people don't have consent, don't give consent. And so pretty much in all of these types, victims are used against their will to do anything such as engage in sexual acts, depending on which type of trafficking it is. And sex trafficker, traffickers, sex traffickers often use violence and other ways to lure people in. And this is pretty much true for all traffickers. So Hannah, I will let you jump in here. I just pretty much just said a lot of stuff. So take it, take it over. No, you did an amazing job explaining that, Jackie, and huge props for you for doing such great research. And I kind of wanted to touch on, you know, kind of the more emotional effects of human trafficking, other than the very, very, very obvious physical effects that human trafficking can have. And I, I really liked how you were talking about, I mean, of course, I didn't like how you were talking about it. I mean, this it shouldn't even be a topic that we have to discuss. It's insane that we're in 2020, almost 2021 at this point, and people don't understand basic rights of equality, freedom, and, you know, all these things that, you know, supposedly America is built on. Not going to go into that. Won't make this political. But um, yeah, so you did a great, great job explaining that, Jackie. But a lot of the emotional effects of human trafficking come from the fact that the cap, that the, um, the, the, the trafficker, the person that's putting this victim in, in this state um, is really kind of like um, the analogy that I immediately think of is like a brain eating amoeba, kind of like sucking out, sucking you out from all your friend groups, from your family slowly one, one by one until the only person left in your inner circle is your trafficker. You have nobody else to turn to. They've cut you off from all of your support and from all of your resources. And so the only thing left is the reality that you're now faced with is, you know, being a victim of human trafficking. And the abusers are smart. They know how to do this in a way that, you know, takes time so that at first you may not realize it. And so it's such a slow progression. I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking generals. I'm talking, you know, some cases it's such a slow progression that people don't even notice that they're being trafficked until it's too late and until they have no one left to turn to. And that is, to me, that is so heart-wrenching and so scary to think about that so many people are going through this right now. And it really ties into abuse, which I know is another drastic pandemic of, of, this, <laughs> of this world. And maybe Jackie will, talk, will touch on this another day. But the emotional toll of human trafficking you know, presents itself in so many different ways. Of course, there's so many physiological things that can come from it, including, you know, um, guilt, PTSD. I can't even imagine the post-traumatic stress disorder, the feelings that are associated with, you know, guilting yourself into thinking you're the one that brought this upon yourself. And if there's anyone who is a victim of human trafficking out here listening, you did not bring this upon yourself. And should not be blaming yourself for anything that your abuser put you through. I mean, I can't even think about the depression, the anxiety, the substance abuse that can come from this. And I think that we need to start seeing human trafficking more and more from the side of the person that this is really affecting. And it's not just an issue of, you know, them, you know, not being able to live their day-to-day -day lives, but it's all of these effects that can come from after their, their trafficking and things like that. And I think that that's something that we also need to think about too. And that I'm really appreciative that the Dress Sember movement is also taking into account um, the shame and the guilt that can be brought from this. 
Yeah, exactly. You brought up so many amazing points. And we're actually later, we're going to touch on a couple stories that we did get from the Dress Amber website of victims of sex trafficking. And I, I, this is, this is such a, um, a prevalent uh, form of crime. And it's clearly such a big industry and happening all over. And I think what's, what's so horrible also about this is that I, I didn't even know about it, to be honest. I didn't know enough details to talk about it for, for 10 minutes. And I didn't really know the difference between human trafficking and, and human smuggling. And I think that this is, this is so sad because I, I do consider myself somebody who, even if I get a lot of my, a lot of the social justice information from social media, I, I, I didn't, I've never seen this as such a big topic and I didn't know enough about it until Hannah, you connected me to the Dress Umber website. You told me about it. And so I have to thank you for that. So I, I'm, I'm also curious, Hannah, how you found out about the Dress Umber website and your previous knowledge on this topic, because like I said, I really didn't know much. And I think a lot of people don't know much about this topic. Yeah, so I actually saw this from someone's post to their Instagram story. Um, Sophie Shearer was reposting something from her friend. And so this is kind of twice removed. And, you know, I looked at the post and it said, oh, like, join me in wearing a dress every day in December for the Dress Summer Movement. And then, you know, Sophie, who I'm not even, you know, I've talked to her like, like once. So I'm, I'd be very surprised if she's listening, but she really inspired this whole episode. Um, because, you know, I clicked on the post and then I swiped up to the link and I was like, oh, what is this movement? And it was really interesting to me to see that people are, um, the, the whole idea is to wear a dress or some sort of formal wear for, you know, however you express your gender identity, feel free to do so in that way, just some sort of formal wear um, as a way of acknowledging um, the sex trafficking and the human trafficking that occurs in our nation and nations across the world in this way called dress So instead of, you know, doing protests, this is more of a silent protest kind of way. And the entire idea is to reclaim your femininity. And because as Jackie was, you know, telling us earlier, women are really the main, not, not the only, but the main victims of this, um, of this horrible, 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 um, idea not idea, this horrible, horrible system. And Jackie also did some research and I'd love her to explain the whole conversation starter idea. Yeah, so when I first heard about or looked on the Dress Amber website, my first question, like I'm sure a bunch of you guys are asking is why a dress? A dress does not seem to be, it's not a fist, it's not taking action itself. But something interesting that I read and also something that, you know, I kind of added on to myself is that a dress serves as a conversation starter. This is just something that they said on the website. And I think something interesting about a conversation starter, I think the sometimes the initial conversation is the hardest part of the whole, of the whole thing, of the whole action and, and taking a stand. So yeah. wearing a dress and actually, even though it's called dress ember, you can also wear a tie. So if that, if that's something that you, that that's more you, you can wear a tie and also partake in this or in, in this movement. I think that this wearing a dress or wearing a tie, it does the first step for you. It initiates the conversation. And I think that this is just, 
you know, it, you are wearing a dress. Somebody says, oh, I love your dress. And right off of right off the bat, you're before you know it, you're having a conversation about human trafficking and why it's such a big issue and how you can help. And maybe also talking about the dress number web, website or organization or movement to kind of get some next resources because, you know, we could tell you one person can tell you um, as much information as they know. And there's always more research to be done. So it's always, it's, it's so important to get your next, to take some next steps. But I, I do, I, I like this movement because it's a small change or not even a change, but it's a small, it's a small life choice that can make such a big difference. Yeah, I agree. And I think I love this idea that you kind of came to about the conversation starter because most people dress, and I know in times of COVID it's all changed, but people just very casual, at least to my school. But you know, if you are going to wear a dress every single day, I can I think it's really interesting just to see um, how you know people would react to that. And you know, I wear a lot of skirts to school and skirts and dresses. I'm actually wearing a dress right now in honor of the episode. Yeah, and I think it's also really cool that this doesn't necessarily have to be like a physical dress. You know, as I was saying before, and as Jackie was also telling us, people are also wearing ties and, you know, however you express your gender identity, just find some sort of like formal wear or, you know, do something out of the ordinary for you and call that your personal dress number. And I think that that would be really empowering too. You know, if you don't typically wear, you know, something specific, maybe wear something specific um, every day for the next couple of weeks and use that as your symbol. And I think that would also be a really cool way. And um, of course, make sure to, you know, check out the Dress Summer website because there are so many resources on there and also some really, really, really great um, opportunities to volunteer with them and really get the word out. And I think that that is awesome. Yeah, for sure. And also probably a bunch of you are wondering, you know, what does, what does a dress do in the long run? You know, because educate, educating others is a great first step, but um, it's not going to make a huge difference in the long term. So there's also places to donate and wearing a dress helps helps um, bring attention and raise awareness. So from there, people can donate. And I think it is a very good cause. And they have donated since 2013, they've donated over $10 million. And yeah, which is crazy and unbelievable and awesome. This money goes to prevention, intervention, and protection. So what does that mean? So, so prevention is preventing uh, human trafficking from happening in the future. Intervention is helping and getting the people who are currently in the system and getting, getting them out. And protection is now helping the people who have gone through it and need, like we were, like you were talking about in the beginning, need the emotional support now, maybe therapy or other ways to cope with the traumatizing um, experiences that they went through. Yeah, totally. And I, I like the idea that they're able to fundraise money in such a um, nonchalant way that also um, allows people to express themselves in a way that they find you know, meaningful. And so I just, I want to give, you know, huge props to this um, Dress Summer movement because they said that they also really started this movement because they didn't see, um, they really wanted their goal to become a social justice movement because 
prior to me knowing about dress number, I've never, you know, really seen um, human trafficking on the news, in the media. I haven't, you know, really been exposed to any of activist groups or anything like that. Jackie, had you? No. Exactly. So I think that, you know, it was really interesting when they said that they wanted to become this social justice movement and they realized that there wasn't a huge you know, movement for this topic, for this incredibly important topic of human trafficking. And thus they wanted to create something meaningful and something that the ordinary person could participate in and make it accessible to everybody. So I really think that they're achieving that. And I also really like how Jackie on their website, they include some personal stories about ways that, um, you know, really can drive the point home. And so Jackie, I would love if you could share with us a story or two. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I compl- I love this organization so much, even though I just found out about it a couple of days ago. Thanks to you, Hannah. Uh, I definitely really love what it stands for and what it does to make a difference. And I also just do want to say um, just there are other organizations such as the Blue, Blue Campaign or Polaris that also aim to prevent or find um, sex, uh, human trafficking that is happening. Um, so it's, it's definitely a big thing. So, all right. So like Hannah was saying, we are going to touch on a couple stories from the Dress Amber website that are from victims of human trafficking. So this, this is called Alexandra's story, and I'm just going to read it out loud. Just take this as a trigger warning that, um, these are stories of survivors from abuse. So just consider this before, before jumping into this. Yeah. Thank you, Hannah. Alexandra is a young woman, woman from Bulgaria. She dropped out of school after eighth grade and immediately started working in agriculture. After a few years, she met and fell in love with a man and soon married. Not long after the wedding, her husband proposed going to Italy together to earn some money and live a better life. As soon as they arrived, he sold her to another Bulgarian running a brothel there. In the brothel, there were 40 girls of different origins, mostly from Eastern European countries. They were forced to live in two rooms, which they were allowed to leave only when serving clients. Every girl who went out without without permission was severely punished by the traffickers. She did not have the right to protest or protect herself. Otherwise, she received more beatings. Alexandra was forced to serve up to 50 clients a day. She became pregnant by clients twice and was forced to have abortions. After spending almost three years in the brothel, Alexandra managed to escape and went directly to the police. After her signal, the police raided the place and arrested the traffickers. Since coming back to Bulgaria, Alexandra has been part of the A21 transition program. There, besides safety, shelter and food she receives all the medical and psychological help she needs in order to start her recovery she's also offered all the social and legal support she needs including ongoing education and professional qualification job finding etc and i just want to say that alexandra's name has been changed for her protection so i think that this is such a powerful and moving story. I I think that's really great that she had the courage to go to the police right away mm-hmm. and escape. I think it's so sad that this is happening and so sad that, you know, she was, there were 40, 40 girls 
um, there of different origins. So this just also goes to show that it's not just one ethnicity or even though in this case it was all women, it's not all one gender, one background or one age. So I think that that's very interesting and also will definitely highlight A21, which is the transition program that she went to. And I think that it's great that there are programs like that that do aim to help victims. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it was really admirable and really, really brave that she was able to speak out um, against her trafficker. And that's something that I can't even imagine, you know, being in that situation. I, that seems so hard, you know, having to leave everything that you've ever known, even if it, you know, isn't necessarily the right thing and having to bounce back from that. So I'm also really thankful for all these organizations for taking such a leap in, um, in helping to, to um, recover all of these, all of these victims. Um, I just wanted to highlight another story. I think that this is a really empowering part of the episode. Um, Kim's story and also Hajato's, if that's how you say it, stories, they're both also very empowering. I'm, we're gonna link them below, but they're a little bit long. So I'm going to highlight Anne Marie's story and her name has also been changed um, for the purpose of the story. And she also mentions an organization called Love 146. And that is an organization that is, you know, here to end child trafficking and exploitation through rehabilitation and um, rescue. All right. All right. Anne Marie lived with extended family during her early teenage years. At 13, she was brought by a relative to a compound that housed a religious cult. She was horrifically abused regularly to cleanse her of her sins. It was three years before Anne Marie came to love 146 survivor care at age 16. Here, she blossomed back to life, making huge strides in her personal life and in school until she made it to the top 10 students in her high school class. Love 146 is giving me a better future, so I feel supported, she said. Because of that, I can be brave. Love 146 is behind me in my search for justice. Outside of school, she learned guitar and piano and also studied beauty and hairdressing techniques so she could support her continuing education in social work or law. She also sought social justice in her own life too. Out of the 10 known survivors of this particular cult group, Anne Marie was one of three who testified in court against the leaders behind the abuse. The cult leader was a powerful man. When Anne Marie chose to testify, he and his followers followed her with threats and intimidation. Her brave journeys to court required witness protection and a crew of armed guards. I don't want any more children to go through the bitterness I went through, she said to us later. Because of your help, we are strengthened and we are strong. I have obtained my justice. Wow, this was such a powerful story. And I think it's really, it's really heartbreaking to hear that such young children are affected by this as well. And it's so sad to think that a relative of hers, a family member, a trusted family member was the one who originally brought her to this religious cult. And yet she, she couldn't even trust her own family member for bringing her here. And then to hear that in the end, she, when she was to testify so bravely and admirably against her, um, her trafficker, um, the, this horrible, horrible man uh, followed her and you know, try to get to her and tell her not to, to testify with intimidations and threats. And 
it's just so sad to think that even when she tried to reach out, it was just, it was, it was really hard for her to do because of what he was continuing to um, put out there. Yeah, for sure. I think it's crazy that this started when she was, when she was 13 and at 13 years old, she was horrifically abused regularly. And I think that this is just so sad. And I think it's, it's great. And it's kind of empowering that now she's able to take her experiences and maybe, and now choose, chooses to study um, social work or law. And she doesn't want anyone else to go through the experiences that she went to, went through. I think that that's really great. I think that I definitely see her as, as, as an inspiration. I, it's, it's so horrifying to think of what she went went through especially I'm 15 and Hannah you're 16 so we at at our ages and two years younger so I think that we can all kind of put that into perspective and think about the story that she went went to we'll also like Hannah said we'll we'll link all of these stories and we will also link love 146 um yeah I think this is just a really it's a really hard topic to talk about because there's so many, it it, it, it 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 hits really close to home because Hannah, like you said, you know, it was a trusted family member that brought, that brought Anne-Marie to, to the cult and, or to the compound that houses a religious cult, but still, and I, it's scary to think that human trafficking is happening all around us to people that we know and or we might know and we might trust and we might love and might love us and I think it's it's so easy to get wrapped up in this in this human trafficking system and it's so sad that it's so it's so available and so just prevalent um I also just want to say that I can also think of so many tv shows where they don't say explicitly, oh, this is human trafficking or I'm being human trafficked, but human trafficking definitely does happen. And I'm not exactly sure if that was purposeful or not, but I think that that also just goes to show how people also don't realize that they're being human trafficked. They are just victims of something and can't put a name to it. Yeah, so I think it's just so, so frustrating just to see how all these organizations are just, no, not frustrating. I think it's really empowering to see how all these organizations are coming together for this common goal of um, helping these survivors through all this guilt and trauma that they've now been through. And I just wanted to call on all of you guys to all make an effort, a conscious effort to call out um, human trafficking and to hold people accountable and also to participate in dress number if you can. Try and wear a dress. If you can't do it every day, you know, at least, you know, try and do it once a week or try and find another symbol of hope and resilience that you can use to, to, um, to accomplish this goal and participate in such an empowering movement. And also we are definitely, 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 definitely going to link all these resources as we've been saying throughout the episode in the down bar and also in our new website resources page. All right, so some ways you all can help. So first off, just making a donation. That is a great way to help in the long run, in short term. And, but obviously that's not, that's that's not accessible for everybody and not everybody can make a donation, which is totally understandable. I personally can't make a donation, um, but you can become an advocate and you can educate others and share the message. You can, you can check out 
Jess Ember on Instagram or their organization on Google. And also, of course, like we've been talking about this entire episode, you can wear a dress or a tie this December every day, or like Hannah said, once a week, even does make a difference because it takes the first step, which is often the hardest in just initiating the conversation, which is so important. That's it for this week's episode of Dive Right In with Jackie and Hannah. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on Instagram at Dive Right In Podcast, as well as Jackie's personal Instagram at Jackie Spinell and mine at Hannah.Plotkin. For more updates, you can follow us on Twitter at Dive Right In 2, the number 2, and TikTok at Dive Right In. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. You can leave any additional feedback at Dive Right In Podcast at gmail.com. And you just dove right in.